1: WinBet is now live in all of these states and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free thousand dollar sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 185 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, November 11th, 2021. Yes, it is 11, 11, 21, 11, 11, what my grandfather used to call Picket Fence Day. I'm not sure if that's a thing or if he just made that up, but anyway, happy 11, 11 day to you, if in fact, is a thing. Of course, 11-11 also is Veterans Day, and so we salute and thank all of our veterans across this great country. But this also is a day on which our Wizards are tied atop the Eastern Conference and with the longest winning streak in the Eastern Conference. A tremendous comeback win on the road on Wednesday night. What a victory for the Wiz at the Cleveland Cavaliers. I shall be post-gaming that later in the show. How about our Wizards? The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, our Wizards. You see, DC sports isn't all about losers. The Wizards these days are winners. The Capitals these days are winners. It's not all gloom and doom. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Sadly, our Washington football team is not a winner this season. And the team has a game this Sunday afternoon at one at FedEx Field against the NFL's ultimate winner from last season, the reigning defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback by the greatest winner, if not in sports history, then certainly NFL history, Tom Brady. We have stuff to get into off Washington's Wednesday practice and post-practice press conferences. Ron Rivera said that he wants Taylor Heineke to, quote, play With his personality. End quote. Uh, Okay, I think we're all on board with that. But was it not Ron who told Heineke to calm down with the running? Uh, Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder, revealed that on this podcast about a month ago on episode 160. And when you combine that with Ron also having said for Heineke to play in more of a game manager type way, I don't know. Sounds like you, Ron, have tried to tone down Heineke's personality at least somewhat. Anyway, Heineke did play with his personality and then some in Washington's loss to the Bucs at FedEx Field in the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs this past January. Heineke on Wednesday got asked a ton about that game and its impact. Said some good stuff. You'll hear all of it. By the way, Heineke at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday wore a Joe Rogan experience sweatshirt. Uh, People's reactions to that off the Aaron Rodgers thing were of course totally reasonable and fair and rational and not over the top at all. Uh, Heineke did say that he has been vaccinated for COVID-19 in case you're curious. So everybody can calm down and you don't have to cancel Taylor Heineke, uh, even though I'm sure that some will try to cancel Taylor Heineke. Uh, also, I'll give you the latest on injuries for Washington's game against the Bucks. Some of the news is good, some of the news not so good. We have a Ryan Fitzpatrick update. Whether that news is good news or bad news depends, I guess, on whether you want Fitzpatrick to play again this season. Uh, And we must talk Nationals. We have to discuss what went down on Wednesday regarding the Juan Soto contract situation. Soto's agent, the notorious Scott Boris, held court at the general manager's meetings in California and basically said, Nationals, if you ain't winning, Soto ain't signing. Uh, Mike Rizzo responded. The back and forth was in full effect. Some of you may remember maybe the most famous bit that I ever did, the Kirk Cousins cha-cha-cha during that never-ending contract saga. Well, the Juan Soto cha-cha-cha could end up being quite the thing. Yes, there it is, the cha-cha-cha. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the podcast. At yahoo.com. Tweet from Rich Polin in response to me asking for other spectacular flameouts for the team currently known as the Washington football team, a la Chris Blewett. Uh, so, guys who lasted for less than a season and did not do well for Washington. Infamous former Washington players who were not Washington players for long and failed in spectacular fashion. My list included Mark Sanchez, Billy Cundiff, Larry Johnson. Uh, writes Rich, ha ha, Clinton Dix is my less than one year huge disappointment for the WFT. I am really going to miss the Adam Sandler soundbite for It almost as much as I miss the Nelson Muntz soundbite for ha ha. Uh, excellent nomination, Rich. Ha ha, Clinton Dix was very much a spectacular flameout. We were also excited, myself included, when Washington acquired ha ha uh, just prior to to the NFL trade deadline in 2018. And he ended up, like, forgetting how to tackle with Washington. Not that he missed a bunch of tackles, but that he became this super reluctant tackler. Although, interestingly, Washington did try to re-sign ha during the 2019 offseason. Ha-ha! <laughs> yes! HaHa Clinton Dix! The joke was on us. The ha-ha was on us. And by the way, that tweet from Rich... That tweet from Rich got retweeted by Haha Clinton Dix on Wednesday. Go figure. I'm not sure that Haha knew exactly what that tweet was about. But anyway, thank you for the retweet. Haha. Email from Rich. Another Rich. uh, This on the Washington football team writes, this Rich. I turned 50 this year. Over the years, I have watched the Jack Pardee show, Redskins sidelines with Glenn Brenner, and countless Redskins shows. My dad took me to a preseason game against the Houston Oilers, led by Dan Pastorini and Earl Campbell. I remember when Joe Gibbs was hired. I watched Daryl Green chase down Tony Dorsett, Daryl Grant run in the tip pass, and listened to John Madden describe the effort it took Dave Butts' young child to carry his gigantic helmet off of the field after a win. I learned to hate Joe Morris, Mark Bavaro, Danny White, Butch Johnson, Andre Waters, Buddy Ryan and Lawrence Taylor, the wild bunch with Otis Wansley, the fun bunch, the posse, the Pearl Harbor gang have all come and gone. I remember the way the stands would shake at RFK while we screamed, we want Dallas. As I watched the red zone on Sunday, it became clear to me that the WFT is quite possibly the worst team in the league. You could make a case for the Texans, The Panthers are struggling. Regardless, the WFT has been mired in pointless football since Richie Pettibone took over and Heath Schuler was quarterback. Dan Snyder has ruined this franchise. Snyder has failed to understand that continuous losing will eventually erode his fan base. Other franchises in this town have recently won championships. The Wizards are a competitive franchise with new management and coaching. The UFC And other fringe sports are drawing young fans away from traditional sports. The Baltimore Ravens are a competent, competitive franchise that is drawing fans. I've struggled with my frustration. I've been a loyal fan of the team for many years. However, as I grow older, I realize life passes by. My time is becoming more valuable. I enjoy football. I can't continue to be emotionally invested in a team that has no hope of being competent, much less competitive. Dan Snyder has ruined this franchise. I'm horribly disappointed and heartbroken to confess. I have completely lost faith in this franchise's ability to field a winning team. Wow. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Very powerful email. And I have to say, I have received a number of emails like that one over the last few weeks. The frustration level right now is sky high. And I get it. I hear you. And I'm with so many of you with that frustration level. Trust me on that. Uh, A few responses to some of what Rich wrote, though. So Rich saying that Washington has been mired in pointless football since Richie Pettibone took over. Yes, that is true. The decline of the team we now call the Washington football team started with the 1993 season, that first season after Joe Gibbs's first retirement Uh, you know, Rich says that Dan Snyder has ruined this franchise. I'm not here to disagree with you on that, but the following two things are true. Number one, Dan's ownership tenure has been a disaster. It has been one of the worst ownership tenures in major pro sports history, and he has become quite possibly the single most disliked person in major pro sports. I know that's quite the statement to make. It may well be true. But number two, Things were going quite poorly for the franchise for years prior to Dan buying the team. I don't think that people ever recognize that enough. Dan bought the team in May 1999. Things did not go well for this franchise from 1993 through 1998. Not a single one of those seasons was a playoff season. Those last six seasons of the team being owned by Jack Ken Cook Did not go well. The team made a number of bad draft choices and free agent signings. The team did not adjust well to the salary cap. And then Jack Ken Cook completely screwed the team and the fan base by A, not leaving the team to his son, John Ken Cook, or at the very least figuring out a way to transfer ownership to his son, and B, putting up this rush job of a stadium in FedEx Field, which nobody likes, including the team itself. When we talk about the decline of the franchise, we have to talk about these things. Dan has made things much worse, no doubt. But the decline started years before Dan bought the team. Uh, As for your overall frustration, again, I hear you. I'm with you. We're all frustrated. Uh, I will always have hope that things will get better. It's hard for me to believe that things won't get better, that for the rest of our lives, this is how this team is going to be, especially in a league like the NFL in which it's easier than in any other major pro sports league to go from bad to good. But yeah, the first two decades plus of Dan's ownership have been an abject failure. I mean, no reasonable person could argue otherwise. You know, the team is valued as being one of the more valuable franchises in the NFL if you go by Forbes. But even that is skewed a bit because the franchise's rate of increase in value hasn't been in line with the rate of increase in value for other NFL teams. Well, speaking of growing a business, do you own, run, or work at a business that you want to grow? Do you want to reel in new customers for your business? Do you want to spread awareness of your business? Do you want to set up a website for your business but don't know where to start? No worries. You can put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks, is a full-service boutique web design, branding, and marketing company. Imageworks is located in Washington, D.C., at Northern Virginia, but serves the entire country. So if you're listening to this podcast in, say, North Carolina or Pennsylvania or New York or Florida or even California, Imageworks can help you. For more than two decades, Imageworks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But Imageworks is more than a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop, For business growth, Imageworks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. Imageworks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703-378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703-378-0000 or go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, the 6-2 and two Washington football team on Wednesday was back practicing in preparation for Sunday afternoon's game against the 6-2 and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field at 1. Next segment, I'm going to talk Washington defense, including some very notable injury news for the Bucs offense. But this segment, we talk Washington offense, for which Wednesday was very much a mixed day in terms of injury news. So Curtis Samuel, did not practice on Wednesday due to his groin. I know, shocking, but he was actually the only offensive player for Washington who didn't practice to at least some extent. Samuel Cosme was limited in practice as he's trying to come back from that ankle injury that has caused him to miss three consecutive games. Brandon Sheriff was limited in practice as he's trying to come back from that knee injury that has caused him to miss four consecutive games. Diami Brown was limited in practice due to a knee, which caused him to be inactive for the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. So Washington potentially could be getting back Samuel Cosme, Brandon Sheriff, and Diami Brown for this game against the Bucks. The bad news is that Logan Thomas did not appear to practice on Wednesday. Logan on Monday practiced to some degree for the first time since Washington placed him on the reserve injured list on October 6th due to a hamstring injury. Because he's on injured reserve, he was not listed on Washington's practice report for Wednesday, but Wednesday's practice was to be telling in terms of how he responded to Monday, and the tell was not good. So I would not be counting on Logan Thomas being back this Sunday, but Cosme, Sheriff, and Brown potentially all could be back on Sunday, uh, also for Washington's offense at practice on Wednesday, Antonio Gibson was limited in practice due to his problematic shin. Cam Sims was limited in practice due to a hamstring. Uh, Cam and the loss at the Broncos returned from a three-game absence that was caused by a hamstring injury, and Semus Reyes was limited in practice due to a hip. For the Bucks, edge rusher Jason Pierre-Paul did not practice on Wednesday due to shoulder and hand ailments. However, maybe the most notable injury news for Washington on Wednesday was the update that we got on Ryan Fitzpatrick. So Fitzpatrick has been on the reserve injured list since September 14th due to his right hip subluxation that was suffered in the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. We knew that Fitzpatrick was due for an MRI exam to see where he's at. Well, he underwent the MRI, And the bottom line is that the hip has not made enough progress to where him playing again soon is happening. This was Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday. And unfortunately, there is no audio of Ron's presser. Uh, I'm not sure why, but the Washington football team, as of early Thursday morning, had not posted Ron's press conference. So all we can go by is what the team sent out via an official transcript. Quote, he did have his MRI the other day. They did look at it. There is some progress. Unfortunately, not way up there, but it's progress. So, what he'll do is he'll continue to work, do his rehab stuff, and he'll be reevaluated soon. I'm not sure when, just so everybody knows. But the nice thing is that there is progress and it's shown some positive signs, but I've been given no timetable end quote. So what a lot of us have suspected is more and more looking like it may be the case. Ryan Fitzpatrick not playing again this season. Remember, the decision was made for him to not undergo surgery. We on September 16th had multiple reports that Fitzpatrick would not be undergoing surgery and instead would be rehabbing the hip. The belief was that he would be out around eight weeks, putting his return at some point, in November. Well, as we speak on this Wednesday, it is November 11th. We are well into November and the hip hasn't healed nearly enough. The hip has made progress, but Ron isn't even sure when the next time is that Fitzpatrick will be reevaluated again. So, yeah, man, I mean, if you're betting money on this, uh you're not betting on Ryan Fitzpatrick playing again this season. I don't want to dismiss that entirely as a possibility. But again, we're into mid-November, okay? I mean, the only thing working in his favor is that Washington does still have nine regular season games left. There is still a sizable chunk of Washington's regular season to go. You know, Washington has played fewer games than Washington has left in this regular season. I know it doesn't necessarily feel that way, but that is the case. So maybe somehow Fitzpatrick ends up playing at some point this season. But for now, things certainly don't seem to be trending Uh, in that direction. And so Taylor Heineke remains Washington's starting quarterback. And if Heineke plays well, the job probably will be his the rest of the season. Now, he has not played well enough during this four-game losing streak, but the job is still his and pretty clearly can remain his for the rest of the season. Ron does not seem to want to go to Kyle Allen. I tell you, Heineke could not have asked for much more of an opportunity than what he is ending up getting this season. I know that he has been quarterbacking an offense that has been hit hard, very hard by injury. So you could say, well, the opportunity hasn't been that great. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, Haneke has been Washington's QB1 since the first half of Washington's game in week one. And he has a real chance here to remain as Washington's QB1 For the rest of the season. By the way, speaking of Kyle Allen, interesting reveal from Taylor Heineke at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday. And we do have audio of that. Uh, Heineke got asked who on the team will most speak truth to him. Who on the team will most tell Heineke like it is, even when telling it like it is, may mean being critical of Heineke. Here was Heineke's response.
2: Yeah, um... I'll say one of those guys is is Kyle Allen. Um, I mean, I've been with him in Carolina, and we've really helped each other get better throughout the years. And um, you know, when coaches say they're looking for a certain thing on this play and whatnot, and we kind of talk through it. And you know, I say, man, I might miss the read, and I would ask him, hey what were you thinking? Like, honestly, let's be, you know, man-to-man talk right here. And so we we have a great uh, uh, relationship in that, in that standpoint, um, where we can be real with each other and and try and get each other better. And uh, I would say he's probably the biggest guy on this team. Same with Logan Thomas, those two guys really tell how it is. So, um, you know, you appreciate that.
1: And obviously Logan Thomas is a former quarterback, but I thought that that was notable from Taylor Heineke that Kyle Allen has been very helpful. These two guys obviously are in competition with each other. I'm sure that Allen wants to be playing. I'm sure that Allen believes that he would be doing a better job than Heineke is doing if Allen was playing. But cool to see that these two, maybe two Washington quarterbacks in competition who actually get along, uh, unlike what we've had in the past here. Now, as for Heineke's play, interesting comment from Ron Rivera on Wednesday. Again, we don't have the audio, but this was Ron on his conversation with Heineke coming out of Washington's week nine bye week. Quote, well, probably the biggest thing we want Taylor to do is go out and play with his personality. And again, we'll see how things go as we go forward and we'll continue to work as a football team and try and get better. End quote. Uh Ron saying that he wants Heineke to quote play with his personality, end quote, is funny because it does seem like Ron helped to coach out some of Heineke's personality and telling him not to run so often. Uh also remember the Ron game manager comment regarding Heineke. And look, the game manager comment wasn't meant to like totally shackle Heineke. I mean, Ron was just saying he wanted Heineke. To play smart football, I get that. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. But it's just kind of funny because off those things with Ron, you kind of say, "Well, Ron, haven't you sort of kind of helped to uh, coach out some of the personality from Taylor Heineke?" Anyway, here was Heineke on Wednesday on Ron saying that he wants Heineke to quote, "play with his personality," end quote.
2: Yeah, um, you know I agree with him. Uh, when I go out there and my personality comes comes out, I play better, and I feel like the last two weeks. Um, it's getting back to that, um, and I'm having a lot more fun out there, and, and just going out there and play, playing the game I love. So, um, you see, when I'm more uh, tentative and trying to be perfect all the time, that's when mistakes happen and uh, the play's not as well. So, um, I feel like the past two weeks have progressed that way.
1: They have, but the overall results have not been good. Heineke has had a total QBR per ESPN of less than 32 in each of the last four games all of which have been losses. Remember, total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100, a total QBR of less than 32 in each of the last four games. Not good. And Heineke is quarterback to Washington offense that during this four-game losing streak is a jaw-dropping 2 of 11 in the red zone. Uh, Heineke being more of himself lately is nice, but we need to see more production. And I'm sure that he knows that. Heineke on Wednesday on the offense's red zone struggles.
2: Yeah, again, just looking back at the red zone deal, um, it's, you know, it's one or two people every play um, that, you know, uh, whether it's me throwing a bad pass or just kind of missing a block or a drop pass, you know, just it's something we all just got to put together. Um, and it's, it's more so down there because, you know, you don't have enough, a lot of field to work with, so you have to be on time and and make the right plays, and everyone's got to be on the same page, so uh, that was the biggest thing I took away from that, Um, and again, you know, it's something that we're working on every day.
1: Yeah, and you need to be working on it. Uh, Washington has totaled 33 points over its last three games, just 33 points total over the last three games, and on the one hand, you say, well, Washington's offense has been smashed by injury, and that's true, but on the other hand, Washington's offense has been good enough to generate 11 red zone possessions during the four game losing streak, and to have totaled just 33 points over the last three games is very disappointing. So, will we see Washington's offense be better in this game against the Bucs? Well, the Bucs do have a very good defense. Their defensive coordinator, as you likely know, is former Washington defensive back. Todd Bowles. The Bucks through week nine for Football Outsiders DVOA metric were number 10 in the NFL in pass defense and number four in the NFL in run defense. But... Uh, There was that game between Washington and Tampa Bay in the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs this past January. Perhaps you remember that game. A 31-23 Washington loss to the eventual Super Bowl champion Bucs at FedEx Field on Saturday night, January 9th. Taylor Heineke made just his second career NFL start, made his first NFL start since December 23rd, 2018, And Heineke, all things considered, was outstanding. Heineke went 26 of 44 for 306 yards, a touchdown and an interception, took just two sacks, had six carries for 46 yards and a touchdown, and led a Washington offense that went 7 of 14 on third downs. Heineke earned an overall grade for the game for pro football focus of 92.0, which was the highest single-game grade For a Washington quarterback in nearly 14 years. Remember, Washington had just signed Heineke to its practice squad. Washington signed Heineke to its practice squad last December 8th. So, one month and one day after Washington signed Heineke to its practice squad, Washington started Heineke in a playoff game against Tom Brady and the Bucs. And Heineke balled out, and he was rewarded this past February with a two year contract albeit with little guaranteed money. I don't want to overstate what that contract is, but you know, Washington did not have to re-sign Heineke to a 2-year contract. He was set to be a restricted free agent. Washington could have just done a 1-year tender, opted instead to do a 2-year deal. Heineke on Wednesday on that loss to the Bucks in the playoffs this past January.
2: That game is probably the reason I'm still here. So, um you know, it's, it's actually a good film to watch. Obviously, it's our offense against their defense, so we've been watching a good bit and uh, brings, brings back good memories and stuff. But again, um, you know, it's a new challenge this week, so hopefully we can have a better outcome this year, go get a win, and uh, go from there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's become popular to try to diminish what Heineke did in that playoff loss to the Bucks, The thing that you hear a lot is that the Bucks were without their stud linebacker, Devin White. Uh, okay, fine. Devin White is really good. Although the way that some people talk about Devin White, you know, you'd think that Devin White is Dick Butkins. Like, oh, well, the Bucks were without Devin White. Well, okay, fine. I mean, oh, they had no chance defensively in that game because Devin White didn't play. But understand what Heineke overcame in that game. Heineke did what he did despite facing a Todd Bowles coordinated Bucks defense that finished the 2020 regular season number five in the NFL in pass defense for DVOA. Heineke did what he did despite suffering an AC joint separation in his left shoulder on the spectacular third quarter, third and five, eight-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. Heineke did what he did despite Washington pass catchers being guilty of five drops, including four first half drops, despite running back J.D. McKissick having two major fails in pass protection, despite the officials being guilty of a brutal no-call in the first half. And despite Washington's running game struggling big time, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick in that game combined for 16 carries for just 36 yards. Did have a rushing touchdown, but 2.25 yards per carry. That no call, by the way, came on Washington's fourth offensive drive, which resulted in a second quarter punt. The ninth snap of that drive, the officials inexplicably did not call pass interference on corner, Carlton Davis on Cam Sims on a Taylor Heineke third and nine shotgun incompletion. So if you want to talk about the Bucks being without Devin White in that game, fine. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to raise that point. But you also then better talk about all of the things that I just went through in terms of what Heineke overcame in that game. Heineke later in his post-practice presser on Wednesday was asked how much he has evolved as a quarterback since that game and how much his life changed because of that game.
2: I don't know how much I've evolved as a quarterback. Again, it's only been eight weeks. Um, I feel like I'm getting better every week and I'm learning something every week. Um, but again, my life has changed dramatically. Um, again, I thought I was done with football last year. So since that game till now, um, made, made some good money and, and just feel a lot more comfortable in life. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a totally different feeling from what I was feeling this point last year.
1: And it should be. What were the 24 to 48 hours that followed the loss to the Bucs in the playoffs this past January, like for Heineke?
2: Well, well, it was a late night game. I didn't get home till like 1.32 and I was answering hundreds of texts and stuff. So I I want to say I only got like 45 minutes of sleep that night. Um, It was exciting, but, you know, obviously you wanted to win, but, you know, kind of going from where I was to that. Um, it, it was a really exciting time. And yeah, I kind of knew that my life kind of changed at that point. So um, no, it, it, was, it was a very exciting time. But again, wish we won.
1: And that's the thing. Washington did not win that game. You know, that game has taken on this legendary status, but the game was a loss for Washington. Washington's starting quarterback job remains Heineke's. Maybe for the rest of the season. Who knows? But he needs, and this Washington offense needs, to start producing more. A total of 33 points over the last three games isn't good enough, even when you factor in all of the injuries with which the offense has been dealing. Well, if you're dealing with a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death situation, we hope you're doing well. But we also want to let you know that you can contact Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. I've known the Naces for more than 25 years. These are good people. These are smart people. And these are successful people. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Well, Paulson and Nace is like the Tom Brady of D.C. area law firms. Founding partner Barry Nace has tried more medical malpractice cases to verdict in Washington, D.C. than any other plaintiff's attorney. If you're looking for a lawyer, ask yourself, do you want an attorney who talks about unverified successful cases, or do you want a law firm that has fought the good fight for decades? Well, that law firm is Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and And NACE, if you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and NACE and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and NACE at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. One, one When you call, just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi Sancha Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Let's talk Washington defense now uh, off Wednesday's practice in preparation for Sunday afternoon's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field at one. Just two Washington defensive players were on Wednesday's injury report. Montez Sweat, not surprisingly, did not practice as he is in the midst of an expected absence of four to six weeks due to that reported non displaced fracture of his jaw that was suffered in the loss. At the Denver Broncos in week eight, but William Jackson III was a full participant in practice on Wednesday, though he was listed on the injury report. Jackson has been inactive for the last two games due to a knee injury. It is notable that two of Washington's better defensive games this season, maybe Washington's two best defensive games this season, have been these two games that Jackson has missed. Uh, given the season that Jackson is having, I don't think that it's wrong to bring that up. Not that Washington's defense was lights out in each of these last two games, but in this oh very bad season for Washington's defense, you could argue that the last two games have been the Washington defense's best games this season. The 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers in Week 7 and the 17-10 loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. Meantime, the Buccaneers' offense is banged up. Receivers Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and tight end Rob Gronkowski all did not practice on Wednesday. Godwin is dealing with a foot injury, and this is a big deal because Godwin is having a really good season. Chris Godwin through week nine is number nine among qualified receivers in the NFL in football outsiders D-Y-A-R metric, which is similar to wins above replacement war in baseball. Uh, Brown has missed the last two games due to an injured ankle. Gronk returned from injured ribs in the Buck's last game, their loss at the New Orleans Saints in week eight, but he then left the game with a back injury. Now look, the bucks are loaded with skill position players, and ultimately, it may not matter who the bucks have at the skill positions because the bucks have Tom Brady, aka the goat at quarterback and Brady is having a phenomenal season, but it is notable that the Bucks could be without Godwin, Brown, and Gronk at Washington on Sunday. Of course, Washington will be without Montez Sweat on Sunday. That's a big deal, uh, him being out for at least a month with this fractured jaw. Other edge rushers on Washington's active roster beyond Chase Young are James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and Shaka Tony. Washington's practice squad includes edge rusher Boonmi Rotimi. Uh, Smith Williams and Twohill have played a decent amount this season. Tony and Rotimi have not. Presumably, Smith Williams and Twohill will get the bulk of the snaps that Montez Sweat would get. But make no mistake, this is a big spot for Chase Young on Sunday against the Bucks. A Ron Rivera's recent blunt comments about. Chase's season and him needing to be better and how he can be better. And no, don't worry, I'm not going to go into the chipping. Oh my gosh, Chase Young has been chipped so much this season. Uh, this is a big spot for Chase Young on Sunday against the Bucs because Washington, of course, is facing the greatest quarterback ever in Tom Brady, a.k.a. the GOAT, and this high-powered Bucks offense. And this is a big spot for Chase Young on Sunday against the Bucs because this Bucks team, remember, handled Chase and Washington's lost to the Bucks at FedEx Field in the wild card round last postseason. You know, that game truly was the start of this underwhelming play from Chase. You would think that Chase wants to make up for that this Sunday. Still to come on the show, another win for the Wizards, this time a major come-from-behind win, and the Juan Soto contract dance. The Juan Soto cha-cha-cha, if you will, got taken up a notch on Wednesday off comments from Scott Boris and Mike Rizzo. We'll get to all of that after this. the Wizards are tied atop the Eastern Conference, and the Wizards are the hottest team in the Eastern Conference. We're not used to being able to say either of those things, let alone both of those things, and at the same time, and yet, those things are true right now. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, that's our team, and it is rolling right now. The Wizards improved to 8-3 with a 97-94 win at the Cleveland Cavaliers on Wednesday night. That was the Wizards' third consecutive victory. That is a modest winning streak to be sure, but that does qualify as the longest current winning streak in the Eastern Conference. And the Wizards and the Chicago Bulls are tied atop the East at 8-3. and three. And this was some win for the Wiz on Wednesday night. So first of all, The Cavs are good this season. At least they had been good so far. This season, the Wizards beat a Cavaliers team that entered the game seven and four on the season. Was without Kevin Love due to health and safety protocols. But as I've been noting, the Wizards themselves have been without a number of key players. Davi Bertons on Wednesday night did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to a left ankle sprain. The Wizards have yet to have Rui Hachimura this season, as he's been out since the start of Wizards training camp due to personal reasons. The Wizards have been without Thomas Bryant this season, as as he continues to recover from that partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January 9th and yet the Wizards on Wednesday night overcame a 10 point fourth quarter deficit the Wizards ended the game on a 19-7 run the Wizards 3 point defense was excellent again the Wiz held the Cavaliers to just 9 of 31 on threes the Wizards had 12 offensive rebounds to the Cavaliers 6 finished with 21 second chance points to the Cavs 11 and the Wizards won despite off scoring nights from four of the team's five starters although some of those guys helped out in other ways so Bradley Beal he went just one of five on threes and three of 14 on twos Beal in this game a mere four of 19 shooting finished with just 13 points also committed four turnovers in 37 minutes, 21 seconds as a starter. But to Beal's credit, he did do other things. He had seven rebounds, he had seven assists, and the one three that Beal made was a big three, a 24-foot left corner three with one minute, 26 seconds left in the fourth quarter to cut the Wizards' deficit to two at 91-89. But it remains true that the Wizards are doing well despite Beal not being at his best. Do you know that Bradley Beal is shooting 25% on threes so far this season? He's been atrocious on threes. He's just 16 of 64 on threes this season, and yet the Wizards are 8-3. Other starters who had issues on Wednesday night for the Wizards, Spencer Dinwiddie. He went just 1-5 of on threes, scored just 11 points in 30-15 as a starter, but Dinwiddie helped out in other ways. Finished with 10 rebounds, finished with 6 assists, Versus two turnovers, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope on Wednesday night, 0-5 on threes, had just five points, one rebound, and one assist in 28-29 as a starter. Daniel Gafford had just four points on two of five shooting, six rebounds, and no blocks in 22-07 as a starter, though he did have two steals. And yet, the Wizards won. Why? Well, two guys in particular, Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell. Kyle Kuzma went six of nine on threes, finished with 22 points and five rebounds and 34-47 as a starter. But even that doesn't do Kuzma's night justice because Kyle Kuzma was outstanding in the fourth quarter. Kyle Kuzma in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won 29-20 went four of five on threes and even that doesn't do Kuzma's performance justice because the four made threes came over the final five minutes, 45 seconds of the fourth quarter, including two made threes over the final 26 seconds. Kuzma nailed a massive go-ahead 23-foot left corner three with 11.4 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 95-94 Wizards lead off a terrific pass by Bradley Beal. Kuzma went 6-9 on threes in the game. The rest of the Wizards went just 4-19 of on threes. That's the thing. The Wizards are not playing perfect basketball right now, and yet the Wizards are finding ways to win. The Wizards are playing defense, the Wizards are rebounding, and the Wizards are making winning plays. And the Wizards made winning plays in this game on Wednesday night. Also, Montrez Harrell. Uh, who to me has been the Wizards MVP so far this season. What a game for Harrell. This may have been his best game so far this season, and that's saying something. Now, he did do a lot of his production early in the game, but whatever. It all counts the same. Montrez Harrell, in just 25-41 off the bench, had 24 points on 8-12 shooting, 11 rebounds, including 5 offensive boards, 3 assists versus no turnovers, and two steals. How about that production from Harrell in just twenty five forty one off the bench? Head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post game press conference.
0: We found a way to make make plays late, you know, on both ends. You know, it's one of those things where our energy level wasn't great to start, and I think we were trying. It just, you know, shots weren't falling. Our offense wasn't clicking, um, so we struggled most of the first half into the third quarter. Um, so to see us uh, you know, gutted out late was, was, was huge. Um, we had big possessions. Brad makes an incredible play to, to Kuz. Um, our execution off the board and onto the floor after timeouts was great. Uh, so we gave ourselves a chance.
1: Yes, you did. I have not felt this good about a Wizards team this early in a season in like forever. I can't remember the last time I felt this good about a Wizards team this early in a season. There is so much to like about what the Wizards are doing right now. Just keep it going, man. I get that it's early. I get that so many things can change between now and the end of the NBA regular season. But let's enjoy this, please, as Wizards fans, because we so infrequently have had great starts to Wizards seasons. Next up for the Wiz at the Orlando Magic, Saturday night at seven. So going on in Major League Baseball this week has been the MLB general managers meetings in Carlsbad, California. The GM meetings are the precursor to the winter meetings, which take place each December, although the winter meetings uh, may not be taking place this December due to the looming CBA Armageddon, the collective bargaining agreement between MLB and the MLB Players Association is due to expire at the end of the day on December 1st. Nobody has much optimism regarding a new CBA being reached by then, or even really shortly after then. In fact, MLB insider John Heyman in a tweet on Wednesday said that he was told the following by a management source on the state of CBA negotiations. Quote, as bad as I've ever seen it, end quote. Well, that's encouraging. Uh, Also, the management source offered the following prediction to John, quote, two and a half months of pain, end quote. All right, sounds great. Sounds wonderful. Yay, baseball. The United States national pastime. As Ernie Banks famously said, let's play too. Uh, So with that as the backdrop, we have this 2021-2022 MLB offseason. Free agency technically has begun, but free agency in MOB always takes a while to get going. The Nationals, of course, are coming off a terrible season in which they went 65 and 97 and engaged in one of the bigger sell-offs that you'll ever see. A two-day implosion of the roster in late July resulted in the trading away of eight players for 12 prospects. uh, The sell-off was painful, but the sell-off to me was necessary, and I applauded the Nats at the time for the sell-off, and I continued to applaud the Nats for the sell-off. The Nats farm system had become barren, and that in conjunction with the Nats having done a poor job of developing players for years had left the Nats with very little in terms of promising young players. The Nats had become an old team with little positional versatility and a team with a bad form system, to say nothing of the team having become a team saddled with two really bad contracts. And those for Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. And so now what for the Nats? Well, they so far this offseason have re-signed shortstop's last second baseman, CDS Escobar, to a one-year contract. And the Nats, according to Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post, have re-signed pitcher Sean Nolan and reliever Alberto Baldonado to minor league deals. But looming over all of this is the Juan Soto situation. The Nats are in a really unique position in that they are a rebuilding team that already has the centerpiece of the rebuild. You know, most rebuilding teams are searching for the centerpiece. The Nats already have the centerpiece. The Nats began their rebuild with the centerpiece, but the centerpiece is getting closer and closer to free agency, and the centerpiece's agent is Scott Boris. So the 2022 season will be Juan Soto's age 23 season. He is due to be a free agent after the 2024 season. So the Nats have three years left of team control with Soto, 2022, 2023, and 2024. Soto's agent, Scott Boris, on Wednesday at the MLB GM meetings in California said the following regarding Soto potentially signing a long-term contract extension. With the Nets,
0: Juan Soto wants to win. So the first thing that's going to have to happen is that you know he knows that he's working with an ownership that's going to annually try to you know compete and win. And then I think once he knows that, then he'll be ready to sit down and talk whenever they choose to
1: talk. All right. So said maybe the greatest, most notorious agent. In the history of sports agents, Scott Boris, quote, Juan Soto wants to win. So the first thing that's going to have to happen is that he knows that he's working with an ownership that's going to annually try to compete and win. And then I think once he knows that, then he'll be ready to sit down and talk whenever they choose to talk, end quote. Follow up question. Scott Boris is known for wanting to bring his clients to free agency. How might that impact Juan Soto potentially signing a long-term contract extension with the Nats? Well, I, I do have a record <laughs> and I have as you name me,
0: my guys, we've taken a free agency and I'll name you a guy that we haven't. So I've been, uh, our, our, what we do is what we listen to players and we follow what players tell us to do because we work for them. Other than that, You know, when Juan, I just know that Juan has mentioned to me that he wants to make sure he's working for a club that's going to compete annually.
1: All right. So there's that notion again of Soto wanting to play on a team that is competing year in and year out. Boris loves, and I mean loves, holding court at the GM meetings and the winter meetings. That is heaven for Boris, holding court with reporters at these meetings and talking about his superstar clients and how many hundreds of millions of dollars those clients are going to be commanding. Well, Nats general manager and president of baseball operations, Mike Rizzo, spoke on Wednesday evening, and he essentially said that the Nats stance regarding Juan Soto has not changed, that the Nats want Soto long term, and that the proof of how competitive the Nats are is in the last 10 years. What I have said, and what others now are saying, and you know the others aren't now saying this necessarily because I said this, but it's just working out this way, is that the Nats need to come hard, need to come correct, and need to make a legitimate, good faith, massive money offer to Juan Soto. I'm talking 400 plus million dollars, even 500 million dollars. Make him say no to that kind of money. Letting him get to free agency, or even within a year or two of free agency. It's as good as saying goodbye. We've learned that lesson by now with Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Max Scherzer, and Trey Turner. The exception is Strasburg, who, yes, also has Boris as the agent. But as we know, Strasburg is a different dude. I I wouldn't be using the Strasburg example as necessarily being applicable to Juan Soto's situation. The learners need to make Soto an offer now, like right now, years before he hits free agency that buys out the rest of his arbitration years, buys out a bunch of his free agent years, and keeps him as a nad for years to come. You don't want to lose Juan Soto. He is a franchise player. He is so likable. He has been durable. He has been extremely productive. I mean, to me, Juan Soto is the new Alex Ovechkin. As Ovi ages, although the way Ovi is playing, he may be great for another 10 years. Who the heck knows? But, you know, someday Ovechkin will retire. I hope that day is not for many, many years. But Juan Soto, to me, is Alex Ovechkin-esque in terms of the talent, in terms of the production, in terms of the personality. Juan Soto can be the number one athlete in Washington, D.C. If you're the learners, don't make an offer like you made to Bryce Harper, who you didn't really want to keep. And I don't blame you, by the way. Don't make an offer like you made to Anthony Rendon, whose offer, like Harper's, was filled with deferred money. Make Soto a real legitimate, big boy, mega money offer. Okay. Make Soto an offer like the offer that got Fernando Tatis Jr. to sign a long-term contract with the San Diego Padres and at least try to get a deal done. And if Soto and Boris say no, then so be it. At least you know that you tried and the fans, the smart fans will know That you tried. But here's the deal. And I know that nobody wants to hear this, but here is the truth because we speak nothing if not the truth on this podcast. If the Nats don't re sign Soto within, say, the next two years, and maybe even a shorter term than that, then the Nats are going to have to trade Soto. Because unless you're a World Series contender, you cannot risk the nightmare scenario of losing him for nothing via free agency. So for the Nats, it really is one of two extremes. Sign Soto to a long-term mega-money contract or trade Soto. Now, you do have some time on this, but you don't have a ton of time on this. With each passing day, Soto signing a long-term mega-money contract seemingly becomes less and less likely because with each passing day, Soto gets closer and closer to the open market, i.e. free agency, and it is the open market that is most lucrative, right? Because then every team can get in on the bidding for Soto, and at least as things stand now, I do not think that Soto would get humbled in free agency the way that Harper got humbled in free agency. Remember, very few teams ended up actually bidding on Bryce Harper in his free agency. At least as things stand now, I do not think that that would be the case with Soto. Unless the Nats are a World Series contender going into the 2024 season, uh, they by then need to have either signed Soto to a long term mega money contract or have traded Soto. And to Boris's point about Soto wanting to play for a winner, that does perhaps shape this Nats offseason, does it not? Uh, the Nats can't afford to take their time with this rebuild and slow walk this rebuild. Not that I think the Nats were ever planning on taking their time with the rebuild and slow walking the rebuild. But if the Nats are going to get Soto to sign a long-term mega-money contract prior to the 2024 season, then they need to show significant progress over the next two seasons. That's not going to be easy to do. It's not impossible, but it's going to require a lot of things going well and a lot of guys developing well. You know, that's going to require the Josiah Grays and the Cade Cavallis and the Jackson Rutledges, and the K-Bert Ruizes, and the Brady Houses, all being hits. Uh, We'll see if that ends up being the case. Juan Soto is special. Juan Soto on Monday evening was named as one of the three finalists for National League MVP. Soto in the 2021 regular season, what was just his age 22 season, was outstanding. Soto finished number five among all Major League players and number one among all National League position players in wins above replacement for baseball reference at seven. Soto finished number five among all Major League position players in wins above replacement for fangraphs at six point six. Soto finished number two among all Major League players in offensive war for baseball reference at six point eight. Soto finished number two among all qualified Major League players in OPS plus. At 175. Soto finished number three among all qualified major league players in weighted runs created plus at 163. Soto finished number one by miles among all major league players in something called base out runs added or RE24. This is a super dorky stat. Uh, But this is actually a very high-level stat and something worth looking at. RE24 is how many runs a player added as a batter and a base runner over the course of his plays, given the bases occupied and out situations. So whatever you want to look at basically screams at you that Juan Soto is elite. Juan Soto already is tracking toward being an all-time great. I would hate for him to not play for the Nats for the rest of his career, but it is hard to be super optimistic that he will be playing for the nats for the rest of his career All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. you can tweet me at Algaldi. you can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com Friday show episode one eighty six will be a football Friday. Extravaganza, in-depth preview of the two and six Washington football team versus the six and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon at one, including the best of what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio have to say during their post practice press conferences on Thursday. We anticipate hearing from both. My rhyming keys for a Washington win, and a special guest, Bucks and NFL draft analyst John Ledyard of Pewter Report, which is a great site on the box. Also, I'll give you my Goldilocks for a big college football week 11 picks against the spreads from Maryland at number seven, Michigan State, Virginia home to number nine, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech home to Duke. Okay, that last game isn't a big game, but those first two are the Terrapins at number seven, Michigan State, the Cavaliers home to number nine, Notre Dame and I'll post game the Capitals and Maryland basketball games on Thursday evening. Caps will be at the Detroit Red Wings at 730. The Turps will host George Washington at 630. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality